Let me start off by celebrating something. Go Pokes! Let me hear it. Yes! Big, big win last night. Perhaps the biggest win uh, for the Wyoming Cowboys in a long, long time. So glad uh, that all of you are here with us today. If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element Church. So thankful you've chosen to spend some time with us. And I want to say hello to those of you joining us via video as well. No matter where you're joining us from, uh, you're a part of our family, and we are glad that you are tuning in today. Coming up on Sunday, December 11th. I know it's several weeks out yet, but I wanted to start telling you about our annual year-end offering we do here at Element Church called the So That Offering. It's born out of John 3.16, which tells us, for God so loved the world, he gave his son so that everyone who believes in him can have eternal life. And that's one of the reasons we give as well, that because we love God, we give so that people can hear about, put their faith in, and learn to follow Jesus through his church. And so the So That offering is above and beyond our regular giving, and it's for, uh, only, it's for those of us who call Element Church home. And this year I'm excited because the So That offering is going to fund the I Heart Wyoming initiative. So recently, I shared with you where we believe God is taking our church over the next 11 years and beyond. That because there are over 400,000 people disconnected from the message and ministry of Jesus through his church right here in our state, we want to partner with existing churches to elevate, expand, and reinforce the credibility of God's church in all 23 counties of the great state of Wyoming. And one of the ways we're going to do that, starting this next year is by resourcing existing churches to help them seek and serve the tangible needs in their community so they can have such an impact that if they were gone, they would be missed. And so the first $50,000, it's about what we brought in last year in the So That Offering, the first $50,000 of the So That Offering, we are going to match out of our 2017 outreach budget to make it an even $100,000 that we will then make available to existing churches around our state uh, to use for serving their city in tangible ways. If anything comes in beyond $50,000, which I fully believe is possible through our church, whatever comes in beyond that, we will use for kingdom expansion around our state. There's some really cool things popping up uh, that we could be involved in and outreach opportunities as well. And what I'm asking you to do as your pastor is start to pray for the next month until December 11th, so a little over a month away. Just pray this one thing if you call Element Church home, I want you to ask God this, God, what do you want to give through me to the so that offering? What do you want to give through me? And then whatever God reveals, be faithful to give that. I would encourage you not to transfer your regular giving to the so that offering. I'd rather you not give anything to the so that offering and continue giving to the regular giving if you're kind of in a situation to choose one or the other. But I'm praying for 100% involvement. Because the reality is this, no one person can do everything, but we can all do something. And if we all do something, we'll end up accomplishing everything. So start asking God, what do you want to give through me to the So That Offering, Sunday, December 11th. Today is the last day in a sermon series we've been in called Decision 2016, Escaping the Political Paranoia. 
that regardless of who is elected, regardless of what happens to our economy, what does God want us to decide to do? Last week we talked about trusting God financially. That trust is not measured in what I say, it's measured in what I surrender. So I need to surrender my place, my plan, and my perspective financially to God. In the first week, we said that change won't happen in the White House until there's a change in God's house. And some changes that we need are a renewed passion for God's presence, a revolution of service to our city, and a rejuvenated commitment to continue following God regardless of who's elected. So if you've missed any of our messages, you want to share one with somebody, you can do that on our website, elementchurchwi.com, or you can download our free app. All of our message, messages are on there as well. Today, though, to close out the series, I want to talk to us about our obligation to the office of president. What's our obligation? And so I actually keep a spreadsheet on my computer uh, of all the illustrations I use, all the stories I tell, when I use them, how I use them, what I'm illustrating to, to do that. The reason I do that is I don't want to repeat a story or an illustration too often. I don't have a problem repeating stories as long as I give a, a large enough gap in between that perhaps you'll forget that story. I can use it again, you know. And so uh, the story I'm about to tell you I've told this story before, in fact, more than once, but it's the best story I could come up with to illustrate or get us into the subject I want to talk about today. And I'm not sure why I'm, why I'm even telling you all of that, because you probably won't remember anyway. I'm not sure if folks remember much of what I say up here. I hope you do parts of it, you know, uh, but so I'm not sure why I'm telling you that. I guess to say this, that please don't tell me in the lobby or email me that I've already used this story. I'm fully aware of that, okay? Here's what you can do. Here's what you can do. Start praying that God allows me to do more stupid things to use for illustrations. That would, that would help me a lot if I just had more stupid things in my life uh, that I could use as illustrations. So here we go. It was my junior or, senior, junior or senior year of high school, the summertime. I don't remember which one. But my parents were going out of town for an extended period of time. And for the very first time, they were trusting my twin brother and I to stay at home by ourselves. Now, they probably didn't think we could get in too much trouble. We did live in the house that was next door to the church my dad pastored at the time, and the church owned the house. They probably thought, we can't get in too much trouble. So they laid down the expectations, the rules they wanted us to follow, and then they told us one of the board members at the church, his name is Rick, he's now my father-in-law to complicate the story, but Rick would be stopping by the house throughout the time they were gone to check on us, make sure everything was going okay. So we reassured my parents, as any you know, teenage young men would, we reassured them, like, Mom and dad, it's fine. Like, it's us, right? We are honest, upstanding, obedient young men. Just go on your trip. Everything will be okay. So I don't even know where they were going, but they left on their trip. They left us in charge. And as you can imagine, we trashed that house. There was pizza boxes, potato chip bags, soda cans, plates, dishes, silverware, clothes. Every It looked like a teenager exploded in that house. And it smelled like one too. Like we literally trashed that house. And every so often through the week, Rick, that board member, my now father-in-law, would stop by and he would see the house getting progressively worse. And he would say, boys, you better get this house cleaned up. But we were like, 
it's Rick. What's he going to do? Like, it's not my dad. We were going to wait to the last possible minute to get the house cleaned up, knowing my parents would never know that the, tra- the, the house was trash. So it was Saturday night. My parents weren't due home for several more days yet. And sometime in that night, Rick called our house, answered the phone. And Rick said, hey, so-and-so in the church passed away, and that was true. We had heard about someone in our church, an elderly person, passing away. He said, your dad has been informed, and he's on his way back. He wants you to know he'll be back sometime early this morning. He'll be in church on Sunday. And he said again, boys, I'm telling you, you better clean up that house. It was all-out panic mode in our home. Like, we cleaned like we had never cleaned before. We cleaned well into the night. We cleaned ourselves to exhaustion, went to bed pretty proud of the fact that unless Rick ratted us out, and we didn't think he would, my parents would be none the wiser that we had trashed the church's house while they were gone. So we wake up Sunday morning, roll out of bed to go to church. We peek in my mom and dad's room, and there was not a single sign that anybody had been home. Not a sheet was turned, not a suitcase, not a bag, no indication my dad was there. So we go over to the church. My dad's office is locked. The, the lights are all off in his office. No one seems to be saying anything about my dad's presence. So I walk around one of the corners in the hallway of the church, and there waiting for me is my future father-in-law, Rick, just grinning from ear to ear. It's right then that I realized perhaps we'd been duped, all right? So I walked up to Rick, and I said, my dad's not coming back, is he? He didn't even answer. He just smiled, laughed, and walked away. Like he, he knew, he knew that our obligation to our dad was way stronger than our obligation to him. And so he leveraged that to get us to do what he knew we needed to do. Now, here's how that relates to this election. I think there are some Christians, okay, some Christians, not all of us, but some, who respond to the office of president different depending on who's in office. Like there are some Christians, we will, we will talk about the president differently, pray for him or her differently, respond differently, depending on if they were our, our candidate or not. We respond differently. But did you know that in the Bible we are actually told exactly what our obligation to the president is? you know that? In fact, did you know that regardless of who the president is, our obligation to him or her remains the same? That's what the Bible says. So listen, if you're here and you are not a Christian, you need to know this. There is no expectation from you to do this. Like we, are, we are thrilled that you are here. And I want to make it clear that this challenge I'm giving today is for those of us who claim to follow Jesus. And I think this is good advice for anyone to follow. But if you don't believe in God, you're not held accountable to follow what God's word says we should do. In fact, you might actually hear what I say is the proper response of a Christian to the office of president. And you might say, wow, Christians do a horrible job at that. And for the most part, I think you'd be right. I think you'd be right. And so here's the big idea for today. It's going to be on the screen. You can write it down if you want to. And it's this. My obligation to the office is not determined by who is in office. My obligation to the office is not determined by who is in office. 
And so if we have an obligation to the office of president and really to any position of authority, which we'll see here in a moment in the scripture, then I think we have to ask this question, what is my obligation to the office? We're going to look at 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 7 in the New Testament portion of the Bible. would love for you to follow along either in your own Bible. There's a free version Bible app you can use. Instructions are on the screen for that. Um, you can also uh, follow along on, on the screens. All the verses will be there. And if you don't own your own Bible, we don't want you to leave without one. So ask for one at guest services. We'll get one into your hands. A little background here on 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is a letter written by a guy named Paul to a young pastor named Timothy. And Paul is instructing Timothy on how he should be a pastor. What should he teach? How should he lead these people that God's entrusted him with? And we call Paul the Apostle Paul, but he wasn't always an apostle, was he? Like Some of you know that the Apostle Paul used to be, before he became an apostle, totally against Jesus. He was on a mission to wipe out Christianity from the face of the earth, literally arresting, torturing, killing Christians. And one day on on his way to another town to do that, to arrest and even kill Christians, Jesus appeared to Paul. Paul surrendered his life to Jesus, completely changed his life around. You can read about this in in Acts. It's around Acts chapter 9, I believe. I should have checked that. I've said that every service today. But around Acts chapter 9, you can read the story of Paul. It's an amazing story of life transformation. But Paul then started going from town to town, not arresting Christians, but telling people about Jesus. In the process, he wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament portion of the Bible. Included in that is this letter from... 1 Timothy, and he tells us what our obligation to the office is. And the first one is this, that we should pray for them. Should pray for them. Now, what I'm about to tell you is sickening to me. It really is. And I don't know if it, if it first started when President Obama was elected, but it's the first time I noticed Christians saying it. And, and when Obama was elected eight years ago, You know, there were people in the church, Christians, who were saying, we should be praying for our president, and that's true. But when I would hear other Christians then say this, I heard some Christians, Christians who I trust and love in my life, and sometimes they would say it in jest or tongue-in-cheek, but most often it was said with with a hint of seriousness. They would say, well, I do pray for the president. I pray Psalm 109, verses 8 and 9. Now, I have most of the Bible memorized, but not those two verses. That was a joke, by the way. I don't have most of the Bible memorized. But I, so I had to look that up. So I was like, what does that say? So I looked up Psalm 109, 8 and 9 when they started saying that, and this is what it says. Christians were saying this is what they prayed. Let his years be few. Let someone else take his position. May his children become fatherless and his wife a widow. Seriously? Man, I'll just call that what it is. Sinful. To pray that our president's daughters are fatherless just because you don't agree with his policies? Come on. So this is what Paul said. God, through the Apostle Paul, this is what he said we should pray for. Okay, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says this. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. 
pray this way for kings. There were no presidents in Paul's day, so I think that includes presidents. And in case you don't think it includes that president that you're thinking of, it goes on to say this, and all, everyone say all. Pray this way for all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. So my obligation to the office is not determined by who is in office. And the first obligation we are told is we should pray for them. And thankfully, Paul tells us exactly what we should be praying for those who are in authority. And this is true for all of those who are in authority, including our president, regardless of who the president is. That when we wake up on Wednesday morning, November 9th, whoever has been elected, this is what we are commanded as God's people to pray, okay? We are to pray, here's letter A, the very first thing, that God would help them. That God would help them. Paul says, ask God to help them. So in the prayer routine that I have, and in no way am I saying this is what you should do. This is how I do it. I've been doing this for years now. Okay, In the prayer routine that I have, I pray for specific leaders on specific days. I don't pray for every leader on every day, but I have a rotation where I pray for specific leaders on specific days. So just for illustration, let's take Monday for example. On Mondays, I pray for our president. Currently, that's President Obama, his wife, Michelle, his daughters, Malia, and Sasha. The following Monday, I don't pray for our president. I actually pray for for the, the man who I call my pastor, my spiritual authority, Pastor Dan Morgan, his wife, Liz, their family, and their church up in Gillette, Wyoming. Then the next Monday, I go back and I pray for President Obama. So that rotation on Tuesday, I have another rotation of Leaders Wednesday and and so on. So let's take the president, since that fits into our, our series. This is for all those in authority, but take the president for example. My prayer for the president might sound on Monday, tomorrow morning, is my day to pray for the president, might sound something like this. God, I pray for President Obama. I pray that you would help him. I pray that you would help him be the man, the husband, the father, then the president that you want him to be. He's first a, a husband, Second, he's a father. Then he's our president, right? So I pray for that, God. I pray, I pray this every time. I pray that he would succeed according to your will. That you would lift up your advice, God, and confound the advice of the enemy. It's a good prayer, by the way. And then I'll pray sometimes specific things, like I pray for courage and boldness and strength to do what is right. I'll pray for purity, for energy, for rest, whatever it is. I pray that God would help him and things come to my mind, maybe specific things our country's going through or whatever. Then I go on to the next thing that Paul said, intercede on their behalf. So here's how I equate interceding for them. Letter B is this, I pray that God would protect them. So my prayer, and this takes like two minutes or three minutes to do total, unpacking it a little bit longer here. But I pray this, God, I I intercede for President Obama, his wife Michelle, their daughters Malia, and Sasha. Lord, I pray that you would protect them. Encamp your angels around them. Fight on their behalf. Protect them from the enemy, spiritually, physically, emotionally, and mentally. And then for the last eight years, I have specifically prayed a prayer for Malia and Sasha. 
This is what I pray for pres- the president's daughters. And now they're, they're young ladies now. I think one of them's already uh, college age, which is uh, amazing what happens in eight, how fast time flies, eight years. But this is what I pray, have, I still pray for the president's daughters. Lord, I pray that you would protect Malia and Sasha from what your children say about their dad. I pray that what Christians say about their dad would not keep them from turning to you. Because let's be honest, church. If Malia and Sasha saw what we have said about their dad on social media and heard the words we have spoken, why in the world would they want to turn to Jesus whom we say we follow? I'm not saying you've got to agree with the president. But for goodness sake, keep your mouth shut. Like we tell our kids this. We tell our kids this. It's okay to be angry. It's not okay to be mean. Tell my kids that all the time. Like God gets angry, but God is not mean. It's okay to be angry. There's a a righteous indignation sometimes that we need as Christians. But it's not okay to be mean and vile and vulgar to our president. It's just not. So I pray that God protect President's daughters, from hearing what we say, how we say things about their dad. Then Paul said, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved. So it sure seems to indicate that we should pray for the salvation of our leaders. And that's the next thing I pray for. Let her see is this. I pray that God would save them. Or if they are professing Christians, I pray, God, would they please live out their faith with boldness and courage. That they would not just have a professed faith, but a practiced faith in their life. And one of of my favorite things that I pray for our leaders, I'll use the president again as an example, but I pray every, every other week for our president, God, I pray that you would strategically place true life-giving, light-producing, Christ-following people in the path of our president and his family. I pray there'd be Christians in his secret service detail as clerks and cooks and aides and maintenance people and pilots and teachers and tutors. However you can put Christians around them, Lord, place real life-giving Christians in their life to encourage them, to pray for them, and to model for them what it means to follow you. I love that prayer. God, put Christians around our leaders to encourage them and, and, and to, to lead them. Now, I intentionally left out a part of our command on what we should pray for from this uh, first section of the main scripture, and I, and I saved it for last because it's the most difficult one to do, I think. It really is. And I didn't make it a point, okay, so it's on the screens, but if you want to make it letter D, it really should have been, because this is, it might be the hardest one and maybe the most important one in our process as Christians. But here it is, that we should thank God for them. Paul says, for all leaders to give thanks to God for them. That's hard, right? It's hard. Now, I know there are many questions that arise as to why we should thank God for some leaders that don't seem to earn or deserve our thanks. I mean, as Christians, we're great at questioning God about our leaders, right? We're great at blaming God for our leaders. We're great at suggesting to God 
who our leaders should be, but thank God for them? It would take us all of about five seconds to think of a handful of leaders throughout history that we would never thank God for, right? So, so before you start telling me why you can't thank God for President Obama or why you would never thank God for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, let me, let me remind you of the leader of the country where Paul was when he wrote this letter, okay? If you don't know this, Paul wrote this letter from a prison cell. The leader of the country of Rome where Paul was in prison This leader placed him there in prison because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus. The leader of the country where Paul wrote this letter from was Emperor Nero. Now, if you know your history a little bit, you'll know where I'm going with this, okay? Emperor Nero, if you don't know, was one of the most vicious, vile, and vulgar leaders this world has ever known. He would have no problem sharing a pedestal with people like like Hitler and Stalin and and Hussein and and Bin Laden and Castro and other leaders that you might might think of. It, It was Nero who intentionally burned down a major portion of the city of Rome, burned it to the ground because he wanted to build a a better city for his name. And when he burned it down, he blamed Christians on lighting the fire. It was Nero who fed Christians to lions in the Colosseum for pure entertainment value. It was Nero who would take Christians cover them in tar, impale them on a pole, and then light them on fire in his garden for light at night. It was under that king that the apostle Paul said, pray for those who are in authority. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. And give thanks for them. If Paul can say, under the authority of Emperor Nero, we should give thanks for those in authority, how much easier should it be for us here in America to give thanks for those in authority over us? We whine and cry about how difficult we have it. We should count our lucky stars for living in the country we live in in the day we live, church. So, I'll ask the question that I would ask, and many of you are as well. How do you give thanks for someone like that? Right? How do you give thanks for someone that feeds Christians to lions? That's that's a legitimate question. And it leads right into the next obligation we have to the office. My obligation to the office is not determined by who's in office, so what's my obligation to pray for them? Number two is this to praise God for his sovereignty over them. That's why. Okay? So 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, Paul says this, for, that's a transition word, so he's tying in what he just said to what he's about to say. So what he just said was pray for all those in authority, ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, give thanks for them, for there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. It is not a president. 
It is the man, Jesus Christ. And that is where, as Christians, we should give a hearty amen. Right, church? He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone, not political freedom. Let me remind you, Jesus did not die for political freedom. He died for spiritual freedom, to live free in Christ. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time, that there's only one God, and he determines the course of history at just the right time. That regardless of who the president is, God is still God, God is still good, and God is still in control. That no matter how out of control a leader or a country might seem to be, God has never lost control. Listen, God already knows who won the election, and he's not freaked out about it one bit. You want to know why? Because there's only one God, and He is it. He is it. Psalm, Psalm 47, verse 8 says this, God reigns above the nations, sitting on His holy throne. We sang it, there is no one higher than God. He reigns above the nations, sitting on his throne. And don't just read past that and miss the power of sitting on his throne. Because when someone is anxious or nervous or afraid or uncertain, do they sit down? No. They stand up. They're pacing around. What am I going to do? How am I going to solve this? But listen, Jesus is not uncertain. He's reigning above the nations, sitting on his throne saying, I got this figured out, folks. I've got this. Daniel 2, 21, speaking about God, says this. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. I don't understand God's sovereignty, but in some form or fashion, God determines who's the leader. Romans 13, 1, the Apostle Paul said, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Isn't that what Jesus told the Roman governor Pilate when he was on trial and would eventually be crucified? If you don't know Pilate, the Roman governor of the province was interviewing Jesus, and he told Jesus, don't you know I have the power to release you or crucify you? And Jesus, his response was this, you would have no authority over me unless it were given to you from above. Or in Pastor Jeff Manis' translation, bro, I gave you that power. <laughs> right? That's what I would have said. Like, bro, I, this, I gave it to you. So listen, don't miss this. If Jesus, God in the flesh, submitted himself to the governing authorities, don't you think as followers of his, we should do the same? Whoo! And God being in control, okay, this whole sovereignty thing, I've not figured out yet. That's why God says, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. But this whole God being in control does not necessarily mean that God makes everything happen. There are some Christians who believe that that's what God being sovereign means. 
that God actually makes everything happen. I don't fall under that theology. If you do, I still love you and you can still love Jesus. I don't fall under that theology. One of the reasons I don't fall under that theology is I just, I, I can't put my faith in a God who if my theology says he made that man do that to that child. Let your mind go wherever you want to go with that. But I'm not going to believe in a God who makes that person do that. Okay? So I don't believe God makes everything happen. Can God make, thing hap- make things happen? Yes. But he doesn't make everything happen. Here's, here's a more powerful part of God's sovereignty. Okay? That regardless of what happens, regardless of who's elected, his ultimate plan still happens. That the, the, the power of God's sovereignty is this. He says, I will give you as humans free will and I still win. That sovereignty. That sovereignty. That God is not bound by any government. He's not limited by any law. That, that God does not need a Christian president to advance his kingdom, his purpose, or his plan. God's kingdom is not expanded by a politician. God's kingdom is expanded through his people, the church. So my obligation to the office is not determined by who's in office. So what's my obligation? I should pray. And church, we should pray for our leaders. Then I praise God. For his sovereignty over them. Why? Because nothing happens without being first passed through the Father's hands. That he allows things to happen. You realize all through the Bible, God would use pagan, evil kings to accomplish his will. At one point in the Old Testament, he took a pagan king and had that pagan king fund the rebuilding of his temple, of God's temple. He was like, yo, none of that money's yours. It's all mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. So why don't you, evil king, fund my church building? That sovereignty. That sovereignty. So point number three. My last obligation to the office is this. That we should point people to Jesus in spite of them. Not point people to just to spite them. Some of y'all got excited right there. Okay. But in spite of them. First Timothy 2.7, Paul says this. And I, after saying all that other stuff, I've been chosen as a preacher, an apostle, to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating. Just telling the truth. So church, no matter who is in office, you may not be an apostle like Paul, but as a believer, we are obligated to point people to Jesus. Not to a party, not to a politician, but to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Do you you know why Rome was eventually won over to Christianity? Think about this. Roman Catholic Church. 
Why did, why did at one point the Roman Catholic Church come out of Rome where Christians were literally being fed to lions? Why is that? It wasn't because a new leader came into place. Here's why. Because Christians overwhelmed their culture with the light and love of Jesus so much so that the movement of Jesus, even in the midst of persecution, gained so much steam, the government leaders said, we better accept this or we will be overruled. And so they welcomed Christianity into Rome, eventually leading to the beginning of the Roman Catholic Church. Why? Because Christians simply pointed people to Jesus regardless of what happened in their lives. So I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled all week long. How do we end this message? And th- this, is, this is the best way I, I landed on, okay? Like next week, today's the last Sunday of the series. Next week is You Choose Sunday. Got some great, great questions we're going to tackle. Uh, and then, you know, literally a few weeks from now, our Christmas sermon series starts. Like we're, I think we're seven Sundays away from Christmas. That's like, oh crap, right? And now I said, oh crap, so we have to pray. That's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And here's what, here's what I want to do, though. You don't, have to, you don't have to look down yet, although I saw some heads go down. That's awesome that you're doing that. Um, I, just, I just think this, okay? Regardless of what you agree about politics, can we all just agree our country needs Jesus? And we just need Jesus. And regardless of who the president is, they need Jesus too, right? So I just want to pray. And we're going to close in prayer, just a general prayer for our leaders. And we're going to just pray through what we just looked at in this scripture, okay? So join me in prayer. Then Pastor Andy's got some closing words to stay where you're at. Lord, God, I thank you that from a prison cell in Rome 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote this letter to his friend Timothy, and yet it couldn't be more relevant for us today. And so God, right now, We pray in the name of Jesus that you would help our leaders. Help them, God. Give them courage and strength and boldness and wisdom to do what is right in your eyes. Lord, we intercede for them. Protect them, God, in the name of Jesus. Encamp your angels around them. I pray that you'd fight on their behalf. Protect them spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally. And Lord, we pray, we pray that you would save those who are unsaved and give strength to those who already believe in you. And God, we praise you that you are sovereign over all, that you have placed those in authority. And we thank you, God, that no matter how out of control our country might seem, you are still in control. And God, may we, as your people, point people to you the only God of hope, the only God of life, the only God of healing. Lord, bring healing to our country, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.